get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday, August 24th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, the BRICS group will admit six new members on January the 1st. The Chinese president calls the expansion historic. China suspended all aquatic imports from Japan after Tokyo began dumping contaminated wastewater from a nuclear facility into the ocean. And India has become the first country to successfully land near the South Pole on the moon. In business, China's rental car market has been booming this summer. In sports, the 30-day countdown to the Hangzhou Asian Games has begun. In culture and entertainment, China's summer box office has set a new record. Now the day's top stories. BRICS has decided to welcome Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates as new members of the group. The six countries will officially join on January the 1st. Chinese President Xi Jinping says the expansion is historic. It shows the determination of BRICS countries for unity and cooperation with the broader developing countries. It meets the expectation of the international community and the common interests of emerging market countries and developing countries. The expansion is also a new starting point for BRICS cooperation. It will bring new vigor to the BRICS cooperation mechanism further strengthen the force for world peace and development. Uh, President Xi also expressed confidence in the future of BRICS cooperation. UAE President Mohammed bin Zayed says he appreciates the inclusion of his country in BRICS, which he describes as an important group. The UAE president posted on X that he looks forward to continued cooperation for the benefit of all countries and people of the world. Insiders say UAE's membership will benefit the Gulf country and the other BRICS member states. Melda Dogan has more. The move brought questions whether the Gulf country is diverging from the West. Editor-in-chief of the International Interest, Sami Hamdi, says the main trigger is a shift in global geopolitics. The UAE believes that the world is no longer unipolar, that the US is no longer the sole dominant power, but that there are other powers emerging, such as China, such as Russia. There are more African states trying to assert more independent uh, influence, such as Ethiopia and the like. And that the UAE believes that it is imperative that it adapts quickly to this environment by pursuing alternative allies, a more diverse political strategy, diverse foreign policy, in order not to be the victim of the upheaval that is to come as the global order begins to change. But the decision is not just political, it's also financial. Europe and the US no longer have the investment power that they once had as a result of the economic crises that have plagued these continents. And there is a perception, at least in the Gulf states, at least in Abu Dhabi, that the eastern side of the world, that China, Japan, some of these other places as well, are flush with cash and that there are more economic opportunities in that part of the world than there are in the Western world. And therefore, economically, the winds of change are moving towards the east and the UAE wants to be part of that. Another expert on the issue, Christopher Weffer, 
The CEO and general director of Macro Advisory Group believes that the main economic reason is not a regressing economy in the West, but rather technological. The UAE, just like other Gulf countries, is looking for alternatives to diversify its economy from oil. There is a, a very limited window uh, where they will be able to continue to uh, direct the energy market, to control the price, and where they will be making a lot of money from exporting oil. It is part of a diversification. They want to be open to all major blocks because they need the investment, they need the cooperation. Over the last couple of years, we've seen these countries wakening up to that fact and uh, trying to do, do more. And being part of BRICS is part of that process. But this process is not new. UAE's approach to BRICS dates back to 2021 when it joined the New Development Bank, also known as the BRICS Bank. The bank aims to provide funding for infrastructure and development projects in BRICS countries. Many believe that the UAE's position in the bank might shift some of the investments to the Middle East. Sanusha Naidu, a senior researcher at Institute for Global Dialogue, points out that the UAE could offer a massive potential financial contribution to the bank. The UAE is a very important strategic actor because remember the UAE is a member of the bank. And being a member of the bank is also critical in terms of how the bank will deepen its development finance assistance as well as provide uh, funding beyond what it currently is providing in terms of infrastructure development, renewable energies and so forth. And that means it needs to raise money, it needs to raise capital. The five core countries that now contribute to the bank in terms of their, their financial contributions also will need to be supplemented. The recent hike in countries seeking BRICS membership raises questions of whether it's a divergence from Western alliance. Sami Hamdi believes the UAE should not be blamed for its diversification action. For the Beijing Hour, this is Melda Doan. Uh, President Xi Jinping has reiterated China's willingness to strengthen cooperation with developing countries. He met leaders from Senegal, Cuba, Ethiopia and Bangladesh on the sidelines of the BRICS summit in South Africa. Gao Yiming has more. In his talks with Senegalese President Macky Sall, Xi Jinping noted the deepening mutual trust and cooperation between the two nations and the need to develop relations further. He reiterated Beijing's support for Senegal's efforts to safeguard its national stability and development and the African Union's push to join the Group of 20. President Xi Jinping relayed to his Cuban counterpart Miguel Diaz-Canel China's firm support for Cuba's efforts to defend national sovereignty and oppose external interference and sanctions. She noted the importance of the Group of 77, saying China will help the group safeguard the common interests and development rights of developing countries. In his meeting with Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, President Xi Jinping said China is a reliable friend and a true partner of Ethiopia. He cited accomplishments between the two countries under the Belt and Road Initiative and the Forum on China-Africa Cooperation. President Xi also said he would encourage more Chinese enterprises to invest and start their businesses in Ethiopia. He also welcomed Ethiopia's use of China's Green Channel to facilitate the entry of African agricultural products. In his meeting with Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina, 
President Xi said China will continue working with Bangladesh on initiatives in infrastructure, information technology, new energy, agriculture, and people-to-people exchanges. That was Gao Yiming reporting. Officials attending the BRICS summit have also discussed ways to deepen trade ties and overcome challenges. Exporters in South Africa are hoping that the summit will open doors for them. Julie Shire spoke with some of them. Increasing agricultural trade was in the spotlight at the 15th BRICS summit in Johannesburg. Member states India and China are big importers of food, but little is traded amongst the five nations. We are important in a big market that is roughly over $300 billion. And China and India make up roughly about uh, 85% of that. So we think about how do you dip and trade amongst ourselves because most of those products, they actually come from outside the BRICS. One of South Africa's biggest farming companies exports most of its apples, pears and avocados to the United Kingdom, Europe and other parts of Africa. It does, however, believe expansion lies beyond those borders. I see the Indo-Pacific region as a very important target long-term for South African produce. We have all the resources in South Africa, but also Southern Africa. And the distance from our ports to the destinations, the harbors in the Indo-Pacific region, is shorter most of the time than it is to our traditional markets into Europe or the U.S. A small percentage of South African produce goes to Brazil, Russia, India and China, although these markets hold huge potential for South Africa. Our local markets are saturated, uh, so there's not a lot of opportunity to grow there. If you want to enter into the business with marketable products in the local market, international trade normally gives you higher margins if you're efficient. We should be able to grow the agricultural industry with leaps and bounds. Delegates agree that tough conditions which govern food exports need to be addressed. The key thing when we're thinking about trade that we are putting on the table is how do you lower the import tariffs and also how do you deal with phytosanitary barriers. So those are things that need to happen. It's one thing to say let's deal with trade, but trade is not happening because the tariffs are higher and there are phytosanitary barriers. South Africa exported a record $12.8 billion worth of agricultural products in 2022, around half of what it produced. The country is pinning its hopes on the BRICS nations to grow that further. That was Julie Shire reporting. Coming up, China suspends imports of Japanese aquatic goods. As the most recent addition to the BRICS grouping 13 years ago, South Africa is leading a new round of expansion involving more emerging economies. How has South Africa benefited from this partnership? And why are more countries interested in joining BRICS? Listen to Deep Dive this week and explore the answers. Available on all major podcast platforms, just search for Deep Dive. Right, 11 minutes past the hour. China suspended all imports of aquatic products from Japan. The decision comes after Japan began releasing contaminated water from the Fukushima nuclear power plant on Thursday. China's called Japan's move selfish and irresponsible. The foreign ministry says it violates the people's rights to health and development. China's Ministry of Ecology and Environment is also urging Japan to dispose of nuclear contaminated water in a more transparent manner and accept stringent international supervision. In South Korea, political parties and the public are taking to the streets and gathering at the Japanese embassy in protest. Suman Yu has more from Seoul. 
the decision has been met with quite an intense controversy, some backlash and wrangling in political circles, some grave and realistic concerns, and also some skepticism from the fisheries industries here in South Korea. Well, the public, environmental activists, and also the main opposition Democratic Party ramped up their level of protests here in South Korea. Now, some panic buying, hoarding of sea salt among South Koreans were witnessed roughly from two months ago, and also there were some noticeable reduction in seafood consumption amid fears of potential health hazards. They expressing grave concerns over seafood and ocean ecosystem contamination, and also as TEPCO plans to release contaminated water over a period of 30 to 40 years, this extended time frame could have a long-term impact, a possibly significant slump in the fisheries industry. Now, South Korea has already banned all seafood imports from eight Japanese prefectures near Fukushima since 2013. But with the release of treated radioactive water, the South Korean government will widen the scope of areas that's subject to regular radiation monitoring beyond its territorial waters. That was Suman Yu uh, with uh, reactions from South Korea to Japan's release of nuclear wastewater. Russian authorities say Wagner mercenary group boss Yevgeny Prigozhin is dead in a plane crash in Russia. The aircraft that went down or went down as it traveled from Moscow to St. Petersburg was also carrying other high-level officials of the private military group. Local media say authorities have retrieved the bodies of all 10 people on board. The investigative committee was, or has launched an investigation. Russia Today reporter Donald Corder is near the crash site. I'm here in Russia's Tver, uh, Tver region where this uh, plane that was heading from Moscow to St. Petersburg crashed uh, not too far away from here. The police have set up a roadblock only letting officials to and from uh, the location. But to give you a bit of background, uh, Russia's Federal Air Transport Agency uh, said that uh, the Wagner private military company chief Yevgeny Prigozhin was uh, listed on the manifest of passengers that was supposed to be on this plane. And the Russian emergency services said that all 10 people on board this plane unfortunately died as a result of this crash. But we do have one actual, actual report from the Russian channel they're reporting that um, it, the authorities believe preliminarily that they have found the body, but they're going to be conducting uh, DNA analysis to make sure of that. The Russian Federal Air Transport Service also said that they're opening up a separate committee uh, specifically to investigate what exactly happened with this plane crash. And Russia's investigative committee is looking into this as a potential case of criminal negligence. They say that uh, it's possible that there might have been a violation of airspace travel uh, safety regulations. That was a Donald Corder from Russia Today reporting on a plane crash that's believed to have killed Wagner chief Yevgeny Prigozhin. The German cabinet's passed uh, legislation to ease rules for obtaining citizenship. The government plans to make people eligible for citizenship after five years in the country or three in the case of what it calls special integration accomplishments rather than the current six to eight years. Interior Minister Nancy uh, Faeser says that they are creating a modern immigration law that does justice to a diverse society. We are in the middle of a worldwide competition for the best people, and in many areas we urgently need skilled workers. 
will only get the best people in the world if they can fully become part of our society in the foreseeable future with all democratic rights, because only those who have the prospect of becoming German and finding a complete home for themselves and their family will decide in favor of Germany. Under the new legislation, children born in Germany would automatically become citizens if one parent's been a legal resident for five years. That's down from eight years. Restrictions on holding dual citizenship will also be dropped. The legislation passed by German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and his ministers still requires approval from the lower house of parliament. Lawmakers and migrant advocates are condemning Lone Star policy in Texas. Uh, the plan includes a recently built water barrier and barbed wire to stop people crossing from Mexico. Human rights groups say people have died as a result of the border fencing, with some legislators uh, calling, uh, calling them drowning, uh, drowning devices. Caroline Malone has more. Lawmakers, including from the Texas Hispanic Caucus and Democratic Delegation, are condemning recent barriers put in the Rio Grande River, separating the U.S. from Mexico. The Department of Justice launched a lawsuit last month against Texas Governor Greg Abbott for Operation Lone Star, under which officers have added a 1,000-foot-long line of water boys and barbed wire fencing. Texas Congressman Joaquin Castro says the policy is clearly aimed to cause harm to people trying to cross the border. Attempted border crossings may have dropped in some areas, but data shows illegal attempts to cross the whole of the southern U.S. border jumped up 30% in July. The U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency says they made more than 130,000 arrests last month, up from less than 100,000 in June. Migrant support groups say the treatment of many of these people who end up in detention centers is inhumane. Grassroots leadership advocates on behalf of migrants, particularly those in detention. Alicia Torres works with them as an immigration campaign consultant. What we're also seeing are people that are actual um, climate refugees. And so I think that when Texans heard that in their own back backyards, a child might be refused, a child who might be asking for water is being refused water. When in that law enforcement agency's vehicle, there could be a cooler with water. That does something to your human psyche. It really makes you question. Border crossings have become even more dangerous recently due to the heat waves that have sent temperatures to record highs at 120 degrees Fahrenheit or nearly 50 degrees Celsius. Policy and research manager Bethany Carson says more also needs to be done to protect asylum seekers on a national level. We're not seeing a lot of action from the Biden administration to respond to the violations that are happening. Um, and we've even seen the, the Mexican president uh, speak out about the inhumanity of this program. And so this is something that is, you know, directly uh, impacting our uh, international relations. Governor Abbott's policies were introduced because of what he calls criminal activity along the border, including trespassing and human trafficking. And he's not letting up. In a recent letter to President Biden, he said Texas will see you in court. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Caroline Malone in Austin, Texas. North Korea says its second attempt to launch a reconnaissance satellite has failed. Local media say there was an error in the emergency blasting system during the third stage flight. 
failure came a few months after Pyongyang suffered an accident during its first try to put a reconnaissance satellite into orbit back in late May. The Workers' Party of Korea says military reconnaissance satellites are important for the development of the armed forces and their combat readiness. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, India makes history with its first successful landing on the South Pole of the Moon. The Gambia is classified as the 10th most vulnerable countries to the impacts of sea level rise. This week on Climate Watch, we explore how climate change is affecting the smallest country on the African continent, the Gambia. And we uncover the strategies the African nation is employing to forge a resilient path forward. Each move counts. Together, let's make a difference. 20 minutes past the hour. Well, India has become the first country to land near the moon's south pole. It's also the fourth country to touch down on the lunar surface. The southern polar regions believed to harbor large amounts of water and ice. Ravinder Bawa has more. Anticipation for the landing was feverish as the newspaper ran banner headlines and the news channels ran countdown timers. The final 15 minutes to make the landing was focused on the transfer from high-speed horizontal position to vertical one in order to facilitate a gentle descent onto the surface. The lander and the rover will have a mission life of one lunar day, about 14 Earth days to study the surroundings there. However, ISRO officials have not ruled out the possibility of them coming to life for another lunar day. The discovery of water on the south pole of the moon is considered important for future explorations as it could serve as a source of fuel for rockets and spacecrafts. This was India's second attempt to land on the moon and comes less than a week after Russia's Luna 25 mission failed. The Indian Prime Minister congratulated the country and said this success belongs to the whole of humanity. That was Ravinder Bawa reporting on India's successful moon landing. Russia has congratulated India on its success. Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov conveyed the congratulations to the uh, to his Indian counterpart during the BRICS summit in Johannesburg. Uh, Russian space agency Roscosmos says lunar exploration is important for the whole of mankind. Uh, Russia's Luna 25 lander crashed on the surface of the moon only a few, a few days ago as it was also attempting to land at the South Pole. The Atlantic hurricane season is far from over. Storms are causing major trouble from Central America all the way up to the United States. They've damaged infrastructure and inundated roads. Nitsa Soledad Perez has more. The National Hurricane Center is keeping an eye on multiple disturbances. Conditions are ripe for the weather systems to strengthen. One of them, Tropical Storm Franklin, made landfall Wednesday morning on the island of Hispaniola, shared by Dominican Republic and Haiti. It's dumping heavy rain and it's expected to bring landslides and flooding in both Caribbean countries. The storm hovered over the island most of Wednesday. Rain accumulation could reach 40 centimeters, some 15 inches, in portions of the Dominican Republic before moving north and regaining strength in the Atlantic. Another system, Tropical Storm Harold, made landfall in South Texas on Tuesday. This time, the heavy precipitation helped the drought-stricken area and brought an end to weeks of record-setting high temperatures. It also packed powerful winds of almost 100 kilometers an hour. Tropical Storm Hillary hit the U.S. West Coast on Sunday, the first one in the region in 84 years. The northwest state of Baja California, Mexico, was pummeled for several hours by rain, mudslides, and floods. The system also left parts of California covered in water. 
a massive mudslide sent firefighters scrambling for safety. The forecast calls for Tropical Storm Franklin to intensify to a Category 2 hurricane over the Eastern Caribbean by Sunday, and another disturbance in the Gulf of Mexico to strengthen over the next two days. That was Nitsa Soledad Perez on storms in North America. Uh, the worst of this year's heat waves has spared the UK so far, but last year's droughts are still having an impact. Michael Voss went to a garden in southern England to find out what the gardener is doing. The southern counties of England are some of the driest and hottest parts of the country. Garden designer Jane Gates wanted to include a drought-tolerant garden. Little did she realize back then just how important such projects could be in the coming years. When I created this gravel garden, I really had no idea how relevant it was going to be with the climate change and what is happening in our world now. The British are known for their love of gardens, but not all of the plants which are popular here can survive if climate change brings hotter temperatures and regular droughts. What are your top tips for drought-tolerant plants? The artichoke is fantastic, grows tall, loves the Mediterranean climate and heat. And you can eat yes, it? You can, absolutely. The lavender, again, a Mediterranean plant that tolerates dryness. Other plants include white-flowered gaura, the herb oregano, and the butterfly-loving verbena. But keeping the soil moist doesn't come cheap. So there's a membrane under here. Gates had to lay a rubber membrane over the soil, then cover it with gravel to help keep in the moisture. So far this year, she hasn't had to water this part of the garden at all. Southern England is also home to a growing number of vineyards where free-draining chalk and limestone soils are similar to several French wine-growing regions. The warmer weather brought on, it's believed by climate change, is helping to improve the quality of English wine. And it's the dry weather and drought which is having the most impact. Here we've got six varieties and this is the Chardonnay. The Chardonnay grapes. So winemakers like drought because there's uh, less water for the vines to sit in and also less water for the vines to uptake, making the grapes more concentrated in sugars, thus sweeter and better for the winemaker. Stop and Vineyard produces around 35,000 bottles of wine a year. It's been a wet July, so the 2023 harvest won't be quite as exceptional as last year's. 2022 saw extreme heat and a severe drought across much of the UK, with many reservoirs almost running dry. While drought-tolerant gardens may become more common, along with better quality English wines, these positives could be outweighed by the impact of prolonged severe droughts on agriculture and food supplies. That was Michael Voss reporting. A relentless heat's been blanketing Texas. Some gym members in Houston are finding the best way to cool off is an ice bath. The pool is like the perfect place for it. People think that means you got to just be swimming, but actually it means you can be working out with weights, you can be doing mindset training, you can get full body cardio, and the best part of it is it feels absolutely incredible. I think the ability to be able to be in the water where your body temperature is going to stay naturally cooler, but still getting to work out at a level that is, you know, your level of 10 of exertion is great. Demand for power has hit a record high for a second day in a row. Homes and businesses have cranked up air conditioners to escape a brutal heat, a heat wave that's blanketing the region. 
Police in Argentina have arrested dozens of people following a spate of looting at stores and supermarkets around the country. Small groups of people have broken into stores in several cities, including Buenos Aires, stealing food and other items. Officials say they have detained over 100 people in different regions. Minister of Security Anibal Fernandez says the lootings are not spontaneous. The looting seen as a possible sign of increasing volatility in Argentina, with inflation at 113%, stoking a cost-of-living crisis. A recent sharp devaluation of the peso has pushed up consumer prices further this month. We're at 28 minutes past the hour. Beijing's at 18 overnight. It's cloudy and 29 on Friday. Chongqing has moderate rainfall in 24 this evening. The rain continues through the day tomorrow with a high of 30. Last is getting a light rain and 11 overnight. Uh, tomorrow, showers in 21. Hong Kong has thunder uh, thunderstorms in 27 this evening. Then it's cloudy in 32. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 overnight, mostly sunny in 33 on Friday. Islamabad's down to 23 degrees, then haze in 33. Bangkok's 27 this evening. Thunderstorms in 34 on Friday. In Africa, Nairobi's getting mostly sunny skies in 27. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 8 this evening, then partly cloudy in 22. Auckland 7 overnight, then clouds in 14. Port Vila, some sunshine in 26 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, the BRICS group will admit six new members on January the 1st, and the Chinese president calls the expansion historic. And China suspended all aquatic imports from Japan after Tokyo began dumping contaminated wastewater from a nuclear facility into the ocean. And India has become the first country to successfully land near the South Pole on the moon. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German Railway Company Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, 你好,我的中文一点点. or a sophisticated learner, 我来北京五年了,我是本地人. There is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Thursday, still to come. In business, China's rental car market has been booming. In sports, the 30-day countdown to the Hangzhou Asian Games has begun. In culture and entertainment, China's summer box office has set a new record. Uh, to contact us, you can email audionewsroom at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. Uh, first of all, though, here's uh, today's headlines with Tian Yu. Thank you, Shane. 
BRICS has announced six new members: Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. The bloc agreed to invite the six countries at the conclusion of a BRICS summit in Johannesburg. Chinese President Xi Jinping says he believes BRICS cooperation will yield more positive outcomes. I am confident. As long as we work with a common purpose, there's a lot that BRICS cooperation can achieve. And the future will be bright for BRICS countries. Let us work together to write a new chapter of emerging market countries and developing countries working together in unity for development. President Xi says the expansion is a new starting point and will consolidate efforts toward world peace and development. The Russian Civil Aviation Authority says Wagner Group founder Evgeny Prigozhin has died in a plane crash in the Tver region. Svetlana Pitarenko at the Russian Investigative Committee says they will try to establish the causes of the crash. The main investigation department of the investigative committee of the Russian Federation initiated a criminal case on the fact of an aviation accident in the Tver region on the grounds of a crime under Article 263 of the Criminal Code of the Russian Federation, violation of traffic safety rules and operation of air transport. An investigation team has left for the scene. All of the necessary forensic examinations will be appointed. Also on the list is Dmitry Woodkin, a former Russian army officer who was responsible for command and combat training of Wagner soldiers. The business jet carrying the ten people crashed en route from Moscow to Saint Petersburg. Japan has started to release contaminated water from the Fukushima nuclear power plant into the ocean amid opposition and protests. China has suspended all imports of aquatic products from Japan. The foreign ministry says Japan's move is selfish and irresponsible and violates the people's rights to health and development. The Ministry of Ecology and Environment is urging Japan to dispose of nuclear contaminated water in a more transparent manner and accept stringent international supervision. Tropical Storm Franklin has made landfall on the island of Hispaniola, shared by the Dominican Republic and Haiti. Juan Manuel Mendez is the director of the Emergency Operations Center of the Dominican Republic. No descuidarse y la población. Do not be careless. The population of the Dominican Republic must all be right now, without exception, in their homes, the homes of friends and family, or in shelters. Forecasters have warned that the storm could drop up to 30 centimeters of rain on the country. Officials have shut schools, government agencies, and several airports, with at least 24 of the country's 31 provinces under red alert. Officials in the Caribbean are concerned about Franklin's impact on Haiti, which is prone to flooding and already suffering from gang violence. India has made history as it became the first country in the world to land a spacecraft near the moon's south pole, an uncharted territory that scientists believe could could hold vital reserves of frozen water. Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi congratulated the nation on the remarkable feat. For this wonderful moment, I want to heartily congratulate 1.4 billion countrymen, my family members, with the hard work and talent of our scientists. India has reached the south pole of the moon, where no other country has ever reached. 
a lander with a rover inside touched down on the lunar surface, sparking cheers and applause among the space scientists watching the attempt. After a failed attempt in 2019, India now joins the United States, the Soviet Union, and China in achieving soft landings on the moon. Austria has reaffirmed its position against the expansion of the Schengen area to include Romania. Interior Minister Ger-、uh, Gerhard Karner says the Schengen system is not working effectively in many areas. The Austrian position and my position will remain very clear that there won't be any change. Because we are even discussing at the European level, Germany is discussing to reinstate controls at its borders to Poland. Germany is controlling its border to Austria. Austria is controlling its borders to Hungary and Slovenia. Altogether, there is such high pressure right now that I find it completely wrong to enlarge such a system. The 27-nation passport-free area includes most EU countries plus Iceland, Liechtenstein, Norway, and Switzerland. The Romanian Inter- Interior Ministry has said the country's ambition is to turn itself into a model of border protection. The ministry added that Romania is still、uh, is ready to continue to cooperate closely with the European Commission and the member states to achieve its goal. Thank you very much for the update. That was Tian Yu. This is Shane Bigam in the Chinese capital, and coming up in business, China's rental car market has been booming. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. Thirty-seven minutes past the hour now. Turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Thursday. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index surged over two percent. In Japan, the Nikkei was、uh, up around nine tenths of a percent. The number of car rentals booked in China has soared by more than 80 percent during the summer vacation. Rental service providers are cashing in on that strong demand, with some reporting the number of orders doubled compared with the same period last year. The increase is evident in places like Yunnan, Guizhou, and Inner Mongolia, where、uh, individual driving tours are popular. A report says China's car rental market is expected to reach 150 billion yuan, or over 20 billion U.S. dollars, by 2025. China's transport industry、uh, has maintained steady growth in July, with major indicators seeing a continued upward trend. According to the data from the Ministry of Transport, China completed about 350 billion yuan, or over 48 billion U.S. dollars, in fix,、uh, fixed asset investment in transportation, up 5.3 percent. The nationwide commercial freight volume went up over 7 percent, to around 5 billion tons in July.、Uh, ports nationwide handled over 1.4 billion tons of cargo. A gain of 6.6 percent. The country also handled 910 million passenger trips via commercial transport, surging 47 percent. China has maintained its position as the world's largest display manufacturer, with the industry's output value exceeding 490 billion yuan, or around 70 billion U.S. dollars, in 2022. That was 36 percent of the global total. The Ministry of Industry and Information Technology says, despite sluggish demand, China's display industry showed resilience. The government plans to rev up fiscal support to promote innovation in the display industry, defining it as a key area of the digital economy. 
In South Sudan, the national broadcaster has brand new broadcasting facilities after two Chinese engineering firms helped to set it up in Juba. It's the first and only equipped modern facility for, for broadcast in South Sudan, and Patrick Oyet has more from Juba. A major broadcast facility for South Sudan Broadcasting Corporation is complete and ready for use. It is built by China Aid. The project is not only the crystallization of the common wisdom and the threat of the people of both sides, but also another new milestone in the friendship between China and South Sudan. Many South Sudanese people have been dreaming of seeing their country develop, but years of civil war have prevented those dreams from being realized. Projects one are generating hope once again among residents here in Juba. The next step of the project is now training of the South Sudan Broadcasting Corporation staff by the Chinese engineers on how to use equipment in the studios. South Sudan's government says the relative peace in the country is now making it focus on infrastructural development. This is a landmark in South Sudan. We will be witnessing real progress in this particular field. In the field of broadcasting, this is where we need to tell the world that we are now, with the help of our friends, the Chinese, we are now moving forward and will be in a position to catch up with the world soon. The Ministry of Information says the facility will enable South Sudan Broadcasting Corporation to have multiple channels and be able to broadcast in different languages. That was Patrick Oyet reporting from Juba, South Sudan. China's Security Regulatory Commission has been encouraging listed firms to start stock buybacks actively. Data shows that from August 18th to the 21st, more than 50 listed companies had announced share repurchase plans. The shares they buy back will be used for stock ownership incentives or employee stock ownership plans. Tian Li Hui with Nankai University explains the benefits of share repurchases. Share repurchase will not only demonstrate enterprise confidence on future development, but also boost investor feelings. For listed companies, it will benefit cash flow management and help with SOP or stock ownership incentives, which will enhance these firms' management abilities as well. Uh, stock buybacks uh, involve companies buying back shares from the marketplace with the company's accumulated cash. Nigeria is still struggling to contain crude oil losses as data from the state-owned Petroleum Regulatory Commission shows that the country's oil output fell by around 4 million barrels of crude between June and July. In monetary terms, that translates to a loss of 300 million U.S. dollars. That's not only cutting into federal government revenue, but it's also reducing desperately needed foreign exchange inflows into Africa's largest economy. Deji Badamosi reports. The significant drop in Nigeria's oil production level raises serious questions over the effectiveness of the government's effort at tackling oil theft and sabotage of crude infrastructure. In the last one year, the government has stepped up its fight against oil theft. A series of arrests have been made as authorities impounded at least two massive vessels with stolen crude, which it set ablaze. And beyond oil theft, experts say all the growing challenges are combining to cause a drop there is generally a non-availability of finance and investment, especially for marginal assets in places like Nigeria. You have a lot more com um, competitive jurisdictions that offer more fiscal attraction, 
where there is uh, more, uh, or let's put this this way, less hostility in the host community areas. Uh, the, the other factor um, relevant to investment is that we're moving away from fossil fuels uh, towards renewable energy. And as this displacement occurs, so the appetite um, uh, uh, weakens for investment. So all of these issues together really has culminated in a lack of effective production to meet, to meet our OPEC quota. Authorities say Nigeria has the capacity to produce 2 million barrels of oil per day, but the country is producing even less than its OPEC oil production quota of around 1.74 million barrels per day. Amid the decline in output, the economy is feeling the impact, as oil accounts for the bulk of the country's forex earnings. It will continue to be felt in the economy quite deeply. It will mean that there is less money available for uh, capital projects, less money available to fund recurrent expenditure, less money in, uh, available for paying of um, civil servants' salaries, the contemplation of raising the minimum wage. All of these factors will play into uh, the reality of the decline in our production. The government is still optimistic its security strategy will eventually turn things around and ramp up production. It says it is now making the country's oil and gas industry attractive to investors. But the latest data from the Nigerian Upstream Petroleum Regulatory Commission is a pointer to the work needed to drive its oil production levels. Now as Deji Barabosi reporting from Nigeria. Tunisia set an ambitious goal to boost olive oil production to consolidate its position as one of the world's top five producers of the liquid gold. The African nation wants to increase its olive oil output to 250,000 tons annually by 2035. Local authorities say the country aims to export around 200,000 tons of the output every year while keeping average domestic consumption at 50,000 tons. Hamadi uh, Bubkari with the Tunisian Union of Agriculture and Fisheries uh, explains the production goals uh, set by the Tunisian olive farming industry. Olive oil is the main pillar of agriculture in Tunisia. There are around 2 million hectares of olive groves with more than 82 million trees. It is about 30% of the country's cultivated land. Tunisia exported 125,000 tons of olive oil in 2023, with the country's revenue exceeding 650 million. Tunisia's olive sector development project is very ambitious. Current export quota for Tunisian olive oil to the European Union is estimated at 57,000 tons. And officials in the North African state are seeking to expand this quota to at least 100,000 tons to boost earnings from the sector. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, 30-day countdown to the Hangzhou Asian Games has begun. The Asian Games in Hangzhou are just 30 days away. The event promises to be a spectacular showcasing of the best of the best competitors from around the Asian continent. We should see some amazing performances from those participating, and Hangzhou will provide a unique experience for all, including spectators. Join us this week on Sideline Story as we take a look at what to expect at the Games, as well as which teams and athletes have the best shot at success. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. Today marks the 30-day countdown to the Hangzhou Asian Games and the Athletes' Village is getting ready to welcome its guests. The village will accommodate more than 10,000 athletes from around the continent. Village Operation Manager Zhuang Guoliang says services in the village will aim to focus on the athletes' needs. 
Under the requirements of holding a green, smart, economical and ethnical games, our service focuses on the athletes' needs. We will create a warm and comfortable living environment for the athletes. Through a great effort, our working staff have got ready for the upcoming games. The Hangzhou event is the 19th edition of the games and will have esports and breakdancing included in, in the official program. From today, the Beijing Hour will go through the history of the Asian Games and the special features of the Hangzhou Games this year. Greet Asia in Hangzhou. Embrace the excitement of the Games. The Asian Games is the oldest and most prestigious event on the Olympic Council of Asia calendar. Like the Olympic Games, they are held every four years. The Games date back to 1951. Chi has more on the first Asian Games. The first edition of the Asian Games took place in New Delhi in March 1951. It was the successor of the Far Eastern Games and the revival of the Western Asiatic Games. The Games were originally scheduled to be held in 1950, but postponed by one year due to delays in preparations. It featured 57 events in six sports. Except for athletics, women did not participate in any other event. Japanese athlete Toyoko Yoshino achieved a remarkable feat, winning titles in the women's shot put, disc throw and javelin throw at the same games. Singaporean swimmer Niu Choi Kok won the most gold medals as an individual athlete in New Delhi with four titles in men's freestyle events. He also won the first ever gold medal of the Asian Games by winning the men's 1500-meter freestyle competition. Nearly 500 athletes from 11 national Olympic committees competed in the inaugural Asian Games. Japan topped the medal table with 50, including 24 golds. For the Beijing Hour, I'm Siju. In football news, Inter Miami are through to another cup final. Lionel Messi and company went to FC Cincinnati and edged the hosts in the US Open Cup semifinals in a penalty shootout 5-4. The match finished 2-2 after regulation and 3-3 after extra time. After Lionel Messi's two assists saw them draw level, Joseph Martinez gave his side the lead early in extra time. Inter would concede late to force the spot kicks and Inter-Miami keeper Drake Callender denied Cincinnati's Nicks Hagland. Benjamin Krishmashi then stepped up and scored the winning penalty to send Inter-Miami into the US Open Cup final. And Manchester City made a £50 million bid for Wolves star Mateus Nunez. City boss Pep Guardiola reportedly wants to sign the 24-year-old Portuguese midfielder following the collapse of an £85 million swoop for West Ham's Lucas Paqueta. Meanwhile, Bernardo Silva has committed his future to the treble winners after signing a new contract until 2026. Spain's Women's World Cup winning team member Jenny Hermoso and the Women's Players Union FIFPRO have called for action to be taken against Spanish FA President Luis Rubiales. The news comes after Rubiales kissed Hermoso on the lips in the aftermath of Spain's World Cup final victory. Hermoso said such acts should never go unpunished and called for more measures to protect women footballers. The World Players Union FIFPRO has also come out in support of Hermoso and requested FIFA open an investigation into Rubiales. 
Moving on to golf and Rory McIlroy says he is now less emotionally involved in off-course affairs as he looks to win the lucrative FedEx Cup playoffs for a fourth time. Defending champion McIlroy will start the series-ending tour championship in Atlanta, three strokes behind Scotty Scheffler in the battle for the 18 million US dollar top prize. The Ulsterman's victory in 2022 came amid his role as an unofficial spokesperson for the PGA Tour in its battle with Live Golf. This rivalry has eased slightly with the American circuit and the DP World Tour merging with Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. In boxing, Daniel Dubois is confident of his chances of pulling off an upset to win the WBA, IBF and WBO World Heavyweight titles from Alexander Usyk this weekend. Dubois got, has got this far despite being vulnerable in recent fights and suffering a serious knee injury in his last fight. Despite Dubois' confidence, Usyk is widely expected to retain his belts at the Stadion Roklaw in Poland. And finally, in badminton, China's Shi Yu Qi defeated Denmark's Rasmus Gemke 21-13-21-8 to advance to the third round of the men's singles at the World Championships. Elsewhere, China's world number one women's pairing Chen Ching Chen and Jia Yifan defeated Indonesia's Lani Tria Mayasari and Rubika Sugiarato 21-5-21-8. I'm feeling very energetic today. I prefer to compete in the morning, and if possible, I'd like us to be the first pair to compete every day for the rest of the tournament. We are the first to compete today, and the atmosphere was somehow quite intense, so we took it seriously too. We saw the clips of our opponents before the match, and I think they didn't perform their best today. Overall, I'm satisfied with our performance. The pair face India's Teresa Jolly and Gayatari Pulela for a place in the last eight. Right, thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates reporting. Coming up in culture and entertainment, China's summer box office has set a new record. China's economy has encountered some setbacks. The recovery of some key sectors have fallen short of market expectations. As the property market is experiencing a prolonged depression, some people are looking to a swan song for the world's second largest economy. Is the Chinese economy really crashing? What needs to be done to solidify the country's growth? Get the answers to these questions and more on this week's Chat Lounge on all major podcast platforms and CGTN Radio. 53 past the hour now. Turning to culture and entertainment, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese mainland's total box office revenue for the summer movie season spanning from June to August reached 19 billion yuan this week. This is more than twice the figure for the summer movie season last year. It's also higher than the previous summer box office record of nearly 18 billion yuan set in 2019 before the COVID-19 pandemic. The box office milestone this year can also be seen as a triumph for domestic movies and China's film industry. According to box office tracker Delta Data, the top six highest grossing films so far are all domestic productions, representing a diverse range of genres. A tradition that once re revolved around capturing wedding photos before the actual ceremony has now transformed for the younger generation in China. The pre-wedding photoshoot, which used to be solely a precursor to joyful marriage, has evolved into something more. Ying Junyi sheds light on the modern perspective when it comes to achieving this significant life milestone. Living in a globally connected world and given rising incomes, young Chinese are increasingly looking to impress with lavish pre-wedding events. 
Previously, pre-wedding photo shoots were a big part of that, but now there's something new. More and more young couples are picking out scenes from their favorite movies and are reenacting them in memory of the happy day. One studio in Shanghai is keeping busy on the short films with happy customers who want to try something different. We decided to reenact film scenes instead because taking wedding photos is pretty old-fashioned. We found the studio online, and their work is pretty good. Younger people are impressed with this. We can express more emotion in a short film than in photos. I think it's more significant. And it's not that easy. The studio says the short films have to be carefully planned, sometimes months in advance of the ceremony. But there are plenty of young couples willing to plan ahead, allowing enough time to reenact their favorite scenes. We're now getting four or five couples a week. Before filming, we need to take 10 to 15 days to learn what they want and to make some adjustments to the original script. The shooting only takes a day. But the whole project takes around three months. Growing demand means big money. The studio says it usually costs from fifteen thousand to thirty thousand yuan to make one of the short films, based on the preparation needed. But with the development of the internet and online social platforms, it's still pretty trendy despite the cost. Our clients are mainly couples in high-tier cities. It's getting more and more popular due to the development of mobile communication technology. With that, the video content can spread online, and so more short video platforms are emerging. The young generation is more willing to post short video online, and it's becoming a trendy way to socialize. To them, it's more interesting than just taking wedding photos. As the equipment needed advances in quality and cheapens in cost, Xiang says the pre-wedding video industry should definitely expand as more and more film studios emerge. That was Yin Junyi on the trend of pre-wedding filming in China. An exhibition titled "Triumphalism" is underway at the 798 Art Center in Beijing, exploring the relationship between humans and modern metropolis. The exhibition displays more than 50 paintings, sculptures, and experimental photographs by Chinese artist Xin Junqin and Australian artist Ian Howard. The show runs through September the 11th. And finally, a fresh wave of archaeological excavation projects has begun in northeast China. Archaeologists are working in Liaoning Province at seven sites of the Hongshan culture dating back over 5,000 years ago. One focus is the Ma Anqiao site, a significant ancient sacrificial ruin in Chaoyang, first discovered in 1981. Some artifacts hold significant research value for ancient Chinese rituals, the history of religion, and the Chinese design culture. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with culture and entertainment.、Uh, Beijing, 18 degrees overnight. Tomorrow's cloudy and 29 degrees. Chongqing has moderate rainfall and 24 this evening. The rainfall continues through the day tomorrow with a high of 30. Lasses down to 11 overnight under a light rain.、Uh, showers and 21 on Friday. Hong Kong has thunderstorms and 27 tonight. Tomorrow cloudy with a high of 32.、Uh, elsewhere, Tokyo is 26 this evening. It's mostly sunny and 33 on Friday. Islamabad's 23 overnight, then a haze and 
and 33. Bangkok's 27 overnight, then thunderstorms and 34. In Africa, Nairobi's getting mostly sunny skies and 27 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 8 this evening, partly cloudy and 22 tomorrow. Auckland's 7 overnight, then some clouds and 14. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, the BRICS group will admit six new members on January the 1st. The Chinese president calls the expansion historic. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you there. A million, a billion, or maybe a gazillion years ago, a giant split open an egg. Then came the lady giant, who made people, and Mr. Curious, the botanist, Mr. Handyman, the baron on the tree. This is our new season of Chinese Folk Tales, and we will explore the ancient, mystical world together. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen.